Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Nicole Kirkenbush, Chief Nursing and Performance Officer with Monument Health. I'm Kate Gamble, Managing Editor and Director of Social Media. In this installment, Kirkenbush talks about why it's so critical that project management focuses on more than just the IT elements, how her team is leveraging technology to ease the burden on caregivers and make sure they're working to the top of their license, why she's such a big advocate for shadowing and rounding, and how serving in the military taught her the value of leadership, building connections, and staying resilient. Thank you, first of all, for um, having the interest in what's going on here in Western South Dakota. We are at Monument Health, which is a five-hospital system. We have three critical access hospitals and two other hospitals, as I said, on the western side of South Dakota. So for folks that aren't real familiar with that, we are in the Black Hills. That is sort of that area where Mount Rushmore is. If you've maybe taken a trip through the U.S. and stopped and seen that wonderful monument, but pretty spread out area when you get outside of the main towns that are served by our system. So we serve a fairly large geographical area, really the western half of South Dakota, um, also into Wyoming, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, a little bit of Minnesota. We sometimes get folks from there. Um, we do have a behavioral health hospital inpatient 50 bed or so, um, which has definitely been very busy throughout the last few years, and I think will continue to stay that way. At our main hospital, which is in Rapid City, we run an average census somewhere around 300 to 350 on a given day, and that's been, um, as I'm sure other folks have had this experience, been up and down a lot over the last few years. Uh, yeah. We do have a cancer center. We have a heart and vascular institute. Um, we have labor and delivery services, pediatric services, and advanced care pediatrics inpatient capability, as well as 40 plus clinics throughout the western side of South Dakota. So we have some very small clinics, for example, in Buffalo, South Dakota, do some teledermatology from there and primary care. We also have large family medicine clinics. We have surgical clinics. We have an orthopedic hospital and sports performance institute, and we have about 5,000 caregivers and physicians. So fairly, I'd say more on the large side, um, mm -hmm. but then some very small towns that we serve in small areas that we serve that it's really quite rural and um, very important that I, those folks are able to get healthcare services. So kind of a quick overview yeah. of Monument Health. Okay. So a lot, lot going on there. And, um, in terms of your role, uh, Chief Nursing and Performance Officer, this isn't yeah. something that we've seen a lot of. So can you talk right. a bit about really what's your what's under your purview? Yeah, it it's morphed and um, even very recently. And what I now really oversee is the nursing capacity for our entire system. So all five hospitals, and that's somewhere around 1,300 caregivers. If you look at nurses, nursing support caregivers, both ambulatory and acute and we call all of our employees caregivers. So when I say that, that's really our employees. I also oversee what we call operational performance management. And so that is a group that has primarily two focus areas. One is performance engineering. So we have lean trained performance engineers and they help us with relooking processes, um, looking at workflows, looking at how to get rid of waste 
They've also installed a belt program here that they created from the ground up. So we have a white belt, a yellow belt, and a green belt program. We're also working on a Gemba workshop program as well as a, a Six Sigma program. And um, we have really been focused on that over the last few years in order to bring in a consistent way of approaching problems. That includes clinical problems, administrative problems, finance challenges, employee challenges, it, it you know, runs the gamut, IT. So those performance engineers help throughout our system. The other piece that we have is project managers. So that would be our project management group. We do have project managers also in IT that really focus on the IT components. But when it comes to any project, those project managers can help even if there's not an IT component, or um, I think as many of your listeners know, IT is only usually a piece of a project. You've got to look at the people piece, the technology, the workflow. So it's that people processes and technology, and those project managers help us keep everything kind of running on schedule. That group, that operational performance management group also manages our planning cycles. So our operational planning and our strategic planning. So they help us really identify what are our needs, what are our goals, what are the, what's the vision we have for the future. And they are kind of a I think a tool in our toolbox that is very important for us to have that keep us consistent and help bring an objective voice to the table as we're working through all of the things that we're needing to tackle um, in this post-COVID world. So um, when I first got here, I was in a role as the vice president of data analytics and through various changes over time, we just hired a new chief healthcare information officer, and um, that is now Dr. Patrick Woodard, and he is taking um, the analytics component back into IT. So that was something that I oversaw up until very recently, but that's really sort of the advent of the chief performance officer role, um, and then nursing had been added over time. So we, we remain flexible, as I'm sure many of your listeners have learned they have to be during mm-hmm. COVID and post-COVID. So um, continuing just to figure out what's right for our organization and in order to meet the goals that we've set for Monument Health to take care of the communities in the Black Hills. And so who knows, you could talk to me in six months, and it might be even a little different. You never know. So. <laughs> right, right. And it's just so important now to, to be able to to be flexible, agile, everyone's favorite word, but it's true. Oh, yes. You do have to be able to accommodate or adjust to different situations. Yep. And I think adjust in ways that maybe we haven't before. Maybe some of these problems are the same as we've dealt with for years, but mm-hmm. we have to really start, I think, now applying new solutions given some of the supply chain, particularly, and labor challenges that have been an outcome of COVID. I think that some of the previous solutions we've come up with aren't going to cut it anymore. So I think we've really got to dig into our creative side and figure out what's going to work moving forward. Yeah, yeah, very true. What right now do you consider to be some of your core uh, initiatives? And there's probably a lot based on what you said. Um, I think it though does boil down to, we have five priorities here at Monument Health. One is delivering high quality care. So that is very important and drives some of my main activities. I'll touch on those. We also want to deliver a great patient experience. We want to be a great place to work. 
we want to impact our communities, and we want to be here for generations to come. So those priorities are probably not dissimilar from what your listeners have in their organizations. But, you know, what does that mean for us at Monument Health? So right now, our main hospital is on a journey to achieve magnet designation. So for listeners that might not know what that is, magnet is a designation to recognize quality nursing care and quality nursing processes. So we are waiting to hear from the magnet Um, organization on how our process is going. Um, We are hopeful that we'll have a site visit here in the near future and receive that designation. But that really makes us focus on quality care with our quality clinical outcomes, as well as patient experience and caregiver experience. And so that hits three of our big priorities. I also am very focused on workplace violence and reducing workplace violence and supporting caregivers and physicians when they suffer from workplace violence. And, you know, that isn't something that's new, but boy, we see a lot more workplace violence incidents in healthcare as we've gone through the last few years. And so I think we've really finally changed in healthcare, our attitude towards that. And no longer do we just expect people to deal with the angry patient or angry family member or the patient or family member that maybe is acting inappropriately because of a medical condition, which could be, it could be, you know, some sort of brain disorder. It could also be that they're on drugs or alcohol. It could be that they're receiving a treatment that they're not tolerating well, but we really take a stance here now that that is unacceptable for patients, family members, or, or caregivers and physicians themselves to behave inappropriately with other caregivers and physicians. I'll tell you what we see most is family members and patients being inappropriate. And so I need people to know that they're supported and that they don't need to really tolerate that kind of behavior. So we've had a lot of work on that. And there's ways that technology can help us. We need to be able to communicate through our electronic health records how there might be a patient or even a family member that's going to be violent or going to act out towards caregivers and be able to if that happened on a, you know, in an inpatient stay, be able to make sure that the caregivers in the clinic know that this yeah. happened so they can be prepared. Doesn't mean that we treat them differently, but it does mean that we can prepare ourselves better. We're also looking at ways to use technology to notify our security teams when there may be a problem in a clinic or in a patient room in the inpatient setting. So there are definitely ways that we need to use our technology um, to support workplace violence prevention. Those are just a couple examples. And then my third thing is the labor market and really focusing on recruitment and retention. And I think that um, it's about working to top of license, top of education, top of certification, and that's in all areas. It's, a, it's our nurses, it's our accounting folks, it's our EVS caregivers, it's myself as the chief nursing and performance officer. If I'm spending time on activities that don't require my training and education and certification, then I need to figure out how to delegate those things so that I can do the things that only 
the chief nursing and performance officer can do. So um, I think this is another big area where we now have no choice but to really start saying, how do we use technology to support our labor force? And so I've been talking about this for a long time in the IT world, but it's no longer about bringing in technology that we need more resources to run. We now need to bring in technology that reduces the need for labor resources. So I'm very interested in partnering with some of our vendor community on how to do that. So there are some really great projects that we're working on there, but I don't see the labor force improving in the rest of my career, at least. And so we've got to think about how do we continue to take care of our communities, but do it with fewer human people, fewer FTEs. And so I look at automation, robotics, Mm -hmm. how do we capture information and get it into the electronic health record without forcing people to type or log in multiple times? All those kinds of things are really part of my focus on labor. So I think, you know, in a nutshell, it's our magnet designation. It's our have an emphasis on decreasing workplace violence and supporting our caregivers and our recruitment and retention of our labor force. Yeah. And what you talked about with the labor market, the shortages were already happening before COVID, especially in nursing and only amplified things. But I imagine that you have to kind of walk this fine line where you want technology to, you know, support the labor workforce, but you don't want to be pushing technology on people or can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. And I think that there is this question about do patients want a robot taking care of them? Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's been activity in that social robot realm Um, hasn't been super successful yet, but I do think that there are ways to use technology, but still maintain compassion and human touch. I think that we've adopted technology maybe in other parts of our lives and have perhaps resisted in healthcare. And it's time now to say, can we continue to do that? How do we maintain that high touch, compassionate side, but use automation, especially I would say automation. Um, We have a lot of uh, tasks in healthcare that I think We could do more effectively if we did employ the right technology. I think about, for example, vital signs. And so right now we spend a lot of time having our nurse aides or clinical assistants or medical assistants or even nurses, LPNs and RNs, going into a room, going into a clinic exam room and capturing a set of vital signs. Mm -hmm. Is there a way instead to do that through technology? And there are companies working on ambient vital sign capture. I think Mm -hmm. that's something we've really got to look at because you don't have to use humans to capture that. So how can we convince number one, and build trust in our caregivers and our patients that technology can capture it and and still capture it safely. Um, And then what can we do to repurpose the time that a caregiver was taking to put a blood pressure cuff on, but, you know, can they repurpose that to maybe spend more time with the patient and listen to their concerns and do education or capture 
things that maybe they wouldn't have had time to capture otherwise. So that's just one example, I think, and we are doing some activities, some projects with that kind of technology and trying to figure out, you know, what can we do to capture? A lot of people wear an iPhone or an Apple Watch today that captures your heart rate, tells you when to walk. It tells you when you've been sitting too long. You know, I'm seeing commercials now where the Apple Watch can perhaps you're in a car accident and it can notify your emergency contact, perhaps call an ambulance. You know, those yeah. kinds of things are already happening in our personal lives. Let's take that and apply it in healthcare, in the hospital, in the clinic. And so I think that it's how do you make sure that patients don't feel like you're you're leaving them to the technology only, that they still see the human side of this? And how do we get our caregivers and our physicians to trust the technology? That's going to be, I think, the trick. Yeah. And, and this is something where I imagine that you're really working a lot with other leaders throughout the organization. How is that structured at Monument? Yeah. So we have a senior executive team that is incredibly, I think, um, supportive of each other and very functional in how we do work. I sit on that team as well as our chief healthcare information officer, who I mentioned earlier, Dr. Woodard. Um, and that has been a partnership. Um, He is new to our organization previously. Um, It was Dr. Stephanie Lahr, and uh, she and I worked very closely together, and we had a high level of trust with each other. I expect to have that same kind of relationship with Dr. Woodard, and I think it's really important that we maintain um, the operational need and and really make sure that we're explaining what that operational need is to our IT partners and having them provide for us solutions that we can then work together on. Nothing's ever going to be perfect right out of the gate, but I think we have to work on those things together. I'm also very happy that our organization has continued to see the importance of a clinician in the lead role for IT. Um, And so I think it really helps that we've had previously a physician and continuing to have a physician that understands clinical processes and is understanding of, you know, that fact that I talked about that you can't take all of the compassion and human touch out of healthcare and replace it solely with technology. But I think that we will continue to work on that together. And Dr. Woodard and I will have a strong partnership. I also see our CFO sits on that team. And it's also incredibly helpful to have a great relationship with your CFO um, because all this technology costs money. And technology, I think, has just continued to take up more and more of the operating budget of any healthcare organization. And so we have to be cognizant of making sure that we're spending our money wisely and making sure that our finance partners see the benefit. So I have a great working relationship as well with our CFO, Mark Thompson, and we meet regularly to talk through, you know, what are my challenges and how are we going to solve those? So I think when you have a, a senior team that has a lot of trust for each other and also is willing to see that they may not agree on everything, but that they can discuss opinions and potential solutions and come together ultimately on a decision that they can take forward as a group, even if it wasn't the thing that everyone came into the conversation with is, you know, their idea or their solution. Um, I think it's really important that we can do that here. We have an amazing CEO as well. Paulette Davidson is her name, and 
We often are in conversations together with her as well about strategy and what does the future look like and what what is the vision that our board has set for us and and what do we want to do to achieve that vision. So I think that's super important, um, especially in these tough financial times, because if you don't trust each other and you can't have open conversation, I think it would be a very difficult sort of environment to work in. Luckily, I'm, I'm not in that environment and find that our team really supports each other throughout our, our challenges and finding solutions. Yeah, yeah, that's really important. But as you know, for a lot of organizations, CIOs, chief digital officers, there are all kinds of people who come from IT, they come from tech or all kinds of different backgrounds. So is there any kind of advice you could give uh, for those who don't have that clinical background to really make sure that they're having the pulse of the yeah. caregivers? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do like to connect with young, not necessarily always young in age, but young in career and maybe young in age, healthcare technology caregivers. Um, maybe they are nurses looking at getting into more of the IT side or their IT professionals looking at getting into more of the healthcare side. So I often have this conversation with folks I think it's very important that they shadow, if it's an IT person without much clinical experience, I think shadowing is really a great way to get some of that perspective. It's not going to make you a physician or a nurse, but I think at least following a nurse aide for a shift, go to the clinic and spend a few hours with the patient access clerk, go to the call center, the triage nurse call center and sit and observe the nurses taking calls uh, and watch how they use the technology, watch the challenges that they have, look for the pebbles in the shoe problems. Those are Mm -hmm. those things that we sort of get used to and we just accept, but are annoyances that if the pebble stays in the shoe long enough, you start to get really grumpy and you want to get out of your shoes or out of your workplace. And so how can they see those things firsthand and then say, gosh, how can I help? How can I, as an IT professional, perhaps apply my skill set to help with those problems? So I think shadowing is important. And it is something here that particularly I think about like our help desk folks, they are, they are definitely out in the operational spaces our leaders, they are out talking to other leaders and asking, what problems do you have? How are we doing? What can we do to make your job easier? So I think those are things that are really, really important. I also think that having them talk to people in other organizations, other areas of healthcare, maybe, because here we don't have, we're really the only tertiary care organization in the Western side of South Dakota, but there are other primary care clinics. We have the VA and we have IHS, Indian Health Services around us. Maybe it's go talk with a IT professional or even a clinician at those organizations and see how they operate. I think that can always open your aperture and and let you see things differently. So I think helping people make those kinds of connections is something that I do often just to get them some more experience and some more perspective. So that might be, you know, my, my, main piece of advice for folks. Yeah, that's fantastic that you do mm-hmm. that. And I would think that it's kind of beneficial for you too to, to speak to people who are either young in career or her age or both. And oh yeah. Kind of, yeah, get, yeah. Oh, I'm sure those are interesting conversations. <laughs> 
They are. I just, I talked to all of our new caregivers on the nursing and nursing support side that come into our organization. And two weeks ago, I talked to our nursing support folks. So that's nurse aides, that's uh, behavioral health techs, emergency department technicians, that kind of role. And afterwards, one of them came up to me and I actually, I have on my to-do list, I need to shoot him an email. He's coming in as a nurse aide, but he's also in a cybersecurity program right now. And, you know, he wants to learn, he wants to do cybersecurity in healthcare. Great. What better way to learn about some of those things than be a nurse aide? So I really commended him for that. And then I said, let me connect you with our CISO. Let's get you talking with him a little bit. So as you finish your program, we want to capture him as a, as a caregiver. We want to employ him. And so that's somebody that when I talk to them, I get really excited about the future. And I think, okay, we're going to be all right. We've got these folks coming in. And so I think you really do have to talk to people and understand what are their desires. And sometimes it's going that far and taking a job as a clinical caregiver while you're doing school. So I think he's going to be very well, well positioned to do cybersecurity and healthcare in the future. Oh yeah, that, that's a great. So last thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm sure that this could be a longer conversation, but I really wanted to get into um, your previous experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you spent a while with the army and kind of how, how that has helped shape you. Oh, definitely. And I spent 24 years in the army nurse corps. The army provided wonderful opportunity for me. I, I received my bachelor's degree, two master's degrees and a, and a certificate. So that's really how I received my formal training. I also received amazing leadership training. And that's something that as I've talked to other veterans too, who've come out of the military and gone into the commercial side or the civilian side, it's not the same out here as it is in the military when it comes to leadership training. And that's something that I really, in retrospect, value a lot from my time in the military. If you stay in, you will go to routinely go to leadership courses and you're expected to be a leader. And so I think that that's really what has helped make me successful as I transitioned into the civilian world. We are now, as we're coming out of COVID, revamping our leadership program here at Monument Health. And I think we need to really put emphasis on that. And I'm not, I'm not alone in that opinion. So we have good support for that. But I think some of what we've gone through in the last few years and what we're going to go through in the next five or 10, it's not the clinical experience, but it's the leadership. It's the resilience that you build by being in a leadership role and going through failure, going through success that really makes a difference. Honestly, the problems, the challenges that I faced in the military are not any different than what we face in the civilian world when when it comes to healthcare. The payment model is extremely different, but I think that my experience with that has also helped because I had a different version of payment for healthcare in the military. Now I've learned and I continue to learn daily about the payment model out here, but I think that, you know, we can learn a lot from each other. I still call colleagues. I have colleagues that are CIOs in other parts of the country. I have colleagues that are CNOs in other parts of the country, and we lean on each other still 
I call them up and go, oh my gosh, I'm dealing with this. What are you doing? And I have learned incredible amounts from them. Hopefully I can, you know, repay the favor at times as well. But the networking, the group of people that you build in a 24 year army career really help you even when you leave. So I think that's a couple of things. It's the leadership training and it's the foundation of network that I built that really, really did help me. So healthcare is a small world. The military is kind of a small world. You put them together, it's an even smaller world. So I still often interact with folks that I've worked with over the last 24 years. And now some are still in the federal side and we talk about that. Others are now in commercial healthcare systems like I am and we talk about those things, but um, it remains a very tight-knit community, so. Yeah, yeah, it seems like that was really a, a great foundation. Definitely. And what was not my plan. And so I often tell young folks too, and I have a high school senior this year, so he's getting ready to go to college. But I say, you know, be open to opportunity. You need a plan. You've got to have a plan. You should be thinking five years out, 10 years out. And um, I think the army really taught me that too, because they made you think that way because they wanted to, you know, have a path charted so they knew where everybody was going. So think five years out, think 10 years out, but then be open to opportunity. It might not be the plan you had, but if there's an opportunity that presents itself, it could shift you in just the right way. And then I always say it's all about relationships. So those are kind of my three mantras, have a plan, be flexible, and it's all about relationships. So build those relationships. Don't ever burn a bridge. You never know when someone might be there to help you. And those relationships can be so important as you try to get to the next step in your career, even in retirement, which, you know, I've retired once I plan to retire again, but, you know, then I hope I can lean on folks to go visit them in various parts of the world. So I think think relationships are still important. So that's some advice that I give to folks too. Yeah. It's really fascinating. I'm always interested in hearing about people's experience, especially in the military. I've kind of a military family at yeah. ROTC brothers. So yeah. it's really interesting. All right. Well, we'll have to catch up again because I feel like there's, there's more, to, more yeah. to dig into. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.